Welcome to tape number six of the series, What We Catholics Believe. This one is about grace. And first I think we must say, what is grace? The word doesn't help us very much, because literally it just means a free gift. So we need to go a little bit further. The little catechism says, Grace is a supernatural gift from God, <coughs> freely bestowed on us, for our sanctification and salvation. So that's why it's often called sanctifying grace. It's for our sanctification. And as it leads to our salvation, it's obviously very important. This is emphasized by the angel Gabriel. When he appeared to Our Lady at the Annunciation, he greeted her with the words, Hail, full of grace. Jesus used to refer to it as life, saying one day about his flock, I am come that they may have life and have it more abundantly, as reported in the 10th chapter of St. John's Gospel. Now, the people Jesus was speaking about already had human life. So he must have meant something different. We can learn a little more about it if we look at the third chapter of St. John, when a Pharisee called Nicodemus came to visit Jesus by night and asked him what he had to do to be saved. Jesus tells him he must be born again if he wants to see the kingdom of God, that is, heaven. Nicodemus was, understandably, very puzzled by this answer. But when he queried it, Jesus just repeated, Unless a man is born again of water and the Holy Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Now we, who have the advantage over Nicodemus, by knowing a little bit more now, can recognise at once that Jesus was talking about the sacrament of baptism. But Nicodemus went away very puzzled, still wondering how a man could enter into the womb of his mother again and be born again. But even we, who understand about baptism, still have a question why do we need another kind of life? Why do we need to be born again? Now I think the answer is that here on earth, our human life, given us at our natural birth, fits us for life on this planet. The air is right for us to breathe. The water good for us to drink. And the temperature manageable for us to live in. If we depart this planet and go anywhere else, even somewhere as close as the moon, we're going to need special equipment to survive. Now, of course, we're all meant to depart from this planet at one stage. We're all going to die. And therefore, we're going to live somewhere else, in heaven, we hope. But heaven is God's home. 
It's made to fit his way of life. And if we are going to live there as he wants us to, and be able to survive there, we are going to need special equipment to live there. Why? Well, that's because of what the life in heaven is like. Heaven is the immense happiness of knowing God, who is goodness himself, and knowing him directly. If you think about it, the happiness we have on earth comes from knowing goodness. To a certain extent, good music, good poetry, good books, good food, good drink even, but particularly good people. The friends and the family, the husbands and wives that we love. That's what brings us happiness. And that's just a clue, just a hint of the happiness we're going to enjoy in heaven when we know perfect goodness and know him directly. Even as we are known by him. And that's why we need the special equipment. Because on this earth we don't know things directly. And in heaven we will. As St. John put it in his first epistle. We shall see God as he is. And St. Paul who also talks about seeing. Says now we see in a glass darkly. But then in heaven, face to face. Now we know in part, but then we will know even as we are known. We will know God that closely, that directly. What does this mean? It doesn't mean that we will know everything the way that God does, but it does mean that we will know him and other people and everything that we do know in the way that he knows them. And that is direct knowledge. The theologians call it conceptual knowledge. You see, here on earth, with our human life and our human intelligence, everything that we know, we know by ideas. We have an idea of it. There isn't any other way that we can know things. If you think about it, you realize that. For instance, you have an idea of your bedroom. You know it pretty well, so it's probably a very good idea. But you can be wrong on some small point. You might go out to buy a piece of furniture that you reckon will fit, and when you get home it doesn't fit, because your idea of your bedroom wasn't perfect. It's just an idea, close idea. It's the same with everything else. We have ideas of our friends and our family. They can surprise us sometimes because our idea might not be that close. Even our knowledge of ourselves is an idea of ourselves. And we could be wrong there too. I remember hearing a man who'd rescued some children from a fire being interviewed on the radio. He'd been walking on his way to work. 
when the house that was on fire was on, in his road. And people were shouting for help. He said even without thinking, he rushed straight in upstairs and rescued the children. And afterwards he said, I'm astonished at myself. I wouldn't have thought I'd do that. You see, he didn't know that about himself. We don't always know about ourselves. We all know the woman who says to us, You know me, I'm not one to gossip. And we know she's the biggest gossip in the parish. She doesn't know it. So ideas are not perfect knowledge. They're often very close, but they're not the same as conceptual knowledge. And when we go to heaven, that's the kind of knowledge we will have of God. A direct, perfect knowledge. We will possess God. It's probably the closest way of looking at it. It's sometimes called the beatific vision. And that's what gives us the great joy of heaven. Now God knows everything, including us, directly and exactly. We can't fool him. It's rather nice that he knows us so well and still loves us. We don't have to pretend with God. But it's only by giving us a share of his divine life, or grace, that it makes it, he can make it possible for us to enjoy life in heaven. What we receive when we receive God's life is a created share of his divine life. This is not a development of our natural human life. It's something quite different, a free gift, a grace. And because it's above our own human nature, it's often called supernatural life, above our natural life. And it's shown and mentioned many times in the New Testament. For instance, St. Peter wrote in his second epistle, you are to share in the divine nature. That's a wonderful promise. It means we really have been adopted as God's own children and his own heirs. And St. Paul wrote to the Romans that that was what has happened at baptism. We are adopted. And the Romans had very strict rules on adoption. They knew what he meant. It meant you really were made one of the family. And St. John too mentions it. After describing how Jesus' own people rejected him in the first chapter of his Gospel, he says, All those who did welcome him, he empowered to become the children of God. So how do we obtain this wonderful gift? supernatural life, a share of God's own life, or grace. We're not born with it. If Adam and Eve had not sinned, then we would have inherited it. But they lost it by their sin in the Garden of Eden, and they have not been able to pass it on to their descendants. So nobody, no human being, except our Blessed Lady, is born with sanctifying grace in their soul. We call it being born in original sin, which can be a little misleading because sin is not a positive thing. It's a negative thing. 
It's a lack of grace. We're born without grace. And we have to obtain it, and the only way we can obtain it is by baptism, by being born again of water and the Holy Spirit. When our sponsors, or if it's an adult baptism, and we ourselves invite God into our souls to come and live and dwell in our souls and replace that original sin with sanctifying grace or supernatural life. You can call it whichever term you prefer. Now this new life makes each of us a new person. See, when, when we're born again, and it is a rebirth, we become a new creature. When I was teaching, I used to teach the children a little poem or a song, which put it in a very simple way. And just for what it's worth, I'll give it to you, because you might like to pass it on to your children. When little babies are baptised, God's greatest love is shown, for then he gives new life to them, a life that's like his own. We thank you, Lord, for this great gift, the treasure of our race. Our lady's soul was full of it. The angel called it grace. Oh, help us, Lord, to live in grace, and still in grace to die, so you can take us home to live with you in joy for I. We used to sing it sometimes. It goes quite well to the tune of Old Lang Syne. And what pleased me was that after a lesson about grace, when we learnt this little poem, I would sometimes hear the children going round the playground at playtime, arm in arm in a big group, chanting it. They were so pleased, thrilled in fact, that they'd been given this gift, that they had a share of God's own life given them at baptism, and that it would enable them to live in heaven. And of course we should be thrilled. We tend to get a little bit blase about it, but it's, it's a wonderful gift. It makes us a new person. It makes us a child of God. At first, when we first receive it, it's like a small seed. And it has to be nourished. Nourished by the other sacraments, where we get sacramental grace. Nourished by prayer, and the good deeds we do which merit actual grace and strengthened. It's like any other life. Your human life will get strengthened if you eat good nourishing food. Your supernatural life will get strengthened by good spiritual food, particularly by the Blessed Eucharist and going to Mass. You remember when our Lord taught about the Blessed Eucharist, he said, you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you will have life in you. Supernatural life. Now this change is a real change. A baptised person is quite different from the person they were before they were baptised. And this is where the Protestant communities differ from the church. Because Luther taught that a soul in grace is still sinful but wearing the garment of Christ's merits, cloaked, as it were, by Christ's goodness. The Alpha scheme, which is used, I'm afraid, in some Catholic churches, still teaches that. 
But the church teaches and has always taught that a baptized soul really is born again, to use Christ's words. Because that soul has new life in it. St. Paul speaks of us as being made in Christ a new creature, a new man, who is created according to God in justice and holiness of truth. That's in his second letter to the Corinthians. It's not a fiction, a pretense. It's a genuine change from the soul without grace to the new creature who has grace. Or as paragraph 1999 in the Catechism of the Catholic Church says, is filled with deifying grace. It's not a term I'd seen before I saw it in the Catechism. It means deifying, making us like God. And it calls it deifying or sanctifying grace. And because it's such a complete and real change, you can never be baptised again. Once you're baptised, you're baptised forever. In fact, we shouldn't really say, I was baptised. We should say, I am baptised. Because that's going to last you, and I say forever, throughout this life and the next, for all the rest of eternity. Tremendous thing to have happened. Now, a very important question, and one we have to ask ourselves, having received this wonderful gift, could we ever lose it? Well, yes, unfortunately we could, and we need to know that there is that danger. For instance, just as it can be strengthened by good spiritual nourishment, grace can be weakened by venial or lesser sins, especially a habit of sin. And, sadly, lost entirely by a really serious sin in which we rebel against an important part of God's teaching. You see, nobody is forced to go to heaven. Anybody can reject heaven. It's the saddest thing of all if they do. And if we find that we have committed a serious sin, feel we are in danger of losing heaven, then we should waste no time in putting it right. Because we don't want to die without sanctifying grace. Can't enjoy heaven without it. As I say, you can't get baptised again. So we have to repent of the sin and we have to receive forgiveness for it. And for Catholic, that means going to the sacrament of penance and confessing it and making it clear how sorry we are and that we intend, because of our sorrow, not to commit it again. That's why the sacrament of penance is so important. Without it, many of us, many souls, could not reach heaven. Sanctifying grace or supernatural life is our most precious possession. So try and keep in a state of grace. That means with grace in your soul all the time. And ensure if you do fall out of grace to frequent the sacrament of penance and receive the grace again. 
soon as you have the absolution from the priest, the grace comes flooding back into your soul. We must pray that we are always and will always be in a state of grace. I remember this is a term that's been used in the church for a long while. Because right back when St. Joan of Arc was living on earth, and her ecclesiastical um, judges at her trial, I'm sorry to say, set a trap for her. They asked her if she was in a state of grace. It was a trick question. She said yes. Well, she's saying something she could not be absolutely sure of. If she says no, then of course she's in trouble. And she, young girl as she was, gave a wonderful answer. She says, if I am, may the Lord keep me in a state of grace. And if I'm not, may he make me in a state of grace. It's almost a prayer, one we could say. So as I say, grace is your most precious possession. Keep in it, and more than keep in it, add to it. And add to it now. Because this life on earth is the only opportunity you're going to have to earn grace. It'll settle how you will spend the whole of eternity. So we want to spend our time here on earth storing up treasure in heaven as our Lord told the apostles to a treasure the robbers cannot steal and that we can enjoy them for eternity and we add to it by every single good thing that we do and they can be very small things but if they're done frequently they will help add to the grace in our souls every prayer every time we Turn to God and think about him in our hearts. Obviously, every time we attend Mass, every time we receive Holy Communion particularly, but any of the sacraments, every time we help somebody, we do a kind action, say a kind word, every little sacrifice we make, every good thing we do, helps us to grow in grace, as St. Peter told his convert in his epistle. That's our treasure. That's the tri- it's where our heart should be, storing our grace. Because although everybody in a state of grace, who dies in a state of grace rather, will go to heaven, Their capacity for happiness in heaven will depend on the amount of grace they have, the amount of life they've got. Rather as when you live here on earth, your capacity for enjoying life depends on the quality of life you've got. You're healthy and full of energy. You can enjoy all sorts of sports and life is physically very easy. Well, likewise, if your soul is healthy, and full of life, filled to its capacity with life, as holy as it can be, then you can look forward to enjoying an eternity of great happiness. So it's probably the most worthwhile thing we can do. Store up treasure in heaven. Stir up the grace in us, and grow in grace.
And as I say, every good action helps. And remember to help other people to do this. Certainly help other people towards baptism. That's the most first essential. This is why the missionaries set out, sometimes at great risk of their own lives, to foreign countries to baptise the people who had not been baptised. Now, I don't want to restrict heaven to everybody who's actually been baptised into the Catholic Church by water and the Holy Spirit. God is not restricted by the sacraments, as we know. People who have no knowledge of baptism, or no way of knowing they should be baptised, but who lead very good lives, and really make the most of the light they are given. And everyone's given some light. Everyone born into the world is enlightened with some light. Those people have what we call baptism of desire. So they do have sanctifying grace. They can look forward to heaven. But at the same time, baptism is so important that it's the one sacrament anybody can bestow and when I say anybody I mean anybody you don't even have to be a Christian let alone a Catholic to baptise somebody else in fact it often happens that if a Catholic mother has a very sickly baby in hospital and once she's born it's obvious he's got a severe heart defect or something and he's only going to live a few minutes then the doctor who's there delivering it can baptise the baby for her. Whether he's a Hindu or a Catholic or any kind of religion or none. If he knows the mother wants it done and he intends to do what the church wants, he can baptise that baby. And baptism is deliberately kept very simple. A child can do it. All you have to do is pour water on the forehead of the baptised person, or immerse them, but pouring water is more usual. And as you pour the water, say the words, I baptise you, then pour some more water, in the name of the Father, and more water again, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. And that's it. Sanctifying grace has come flooding into that child or that person's soul. They are baptised. And as I say, anyone can do it. And it, and it does happen that ordinary lay people do baptise others who really ask for baptism and are in danger of death. And there is nobody else to do it. It's not the normal way of baptism. You would only, a priest is the normal minister of baptism. But in an emergency... Rather than leave somebody unbaptized, anybody can baptize. There's a story about this. I'm not quite sure how true it is. But it's an interesting story, and it illustrates that anybody can baptize, about King Edward VII, the second child of Queen Victoria. That when he was born, he was obviously booked for a very important christening ceremony in Westminster Abbey, all the important guests and the Archbishop of Canterbury naturally assumed he would be doing the baptism but the Archbishop of York protested he said no you baptised the last baby Princess Victoria it's my turn this time 
And the Archbishop of Canterbury said, yes, but this one is going to be king. I'm Archbishop of Canterbury. I should baptize him. So eventually they agreed on a friendly compromise. The Archbishop of Canterbury would hold the baby and pour the water. And the Archbishop of York would say the words. And on the day they went along to the abbey. And there, as I say, everybody stood round. And that's how they did the baptism. Now one of the people present was a young girl of 14 who had been employed by the palace as an under-nursery maid. She'd come from Ireland. And she knew that that was not a baptism. In those days we taught the faith very well. She knew that the person who poured the water had to be the same person who said the words. And because this worried her, when they got back to the palace and she was given the job of bathing the baby and getting him ready for the night, she sat him in his bath and she baptised him, poured the water and said the words. He didn't tell anybody until many years later when she was a very old lady and King Edward VII was already dead. As I say, I can't vouch for the truth of it. But it's an interesting story because it illustrates how important baptism is. She was quite right to realise he must be baptised and how anybody, it's the one sacrament anybody can bestow because of its importance. Now we're going to earn some grace by saying another decade of the rosary. We've got to the fifth joyful mystery, the finding of the child Jesus in the temple. This is the story at the end of the second chapter of St. Luke, where Mary and Joseph, who went to Jerusalem every year for the Passover, decided to take Jesus with them. Jesus was now twelve, and they decided he could walk seventy miles to Jerusalem. Now, when they got there, they prayed in different parts of the temple. Synagogues are still divided, and the temple was. The women were in one section, the men in another. So when Our Lady realised that Jesus wasn't with her, she assumed he was with St. Joseph. And St. Joseph assumed he was with Our Lady, and of course he was with neither. At the end of the three days' prayer, they still didn't meet. Men and women came out separate exits, and walked a day's journey before they met. So it was that evening when Our Lady said to St. Joseph, Where's Jesus? And he said, I thought he was with you. And they realised he was with neither of them. They hurried back to Jerusalem. They searched for him for three days. All the time Our Lady must have been thinking of Simeon's words. A sword will pierce your soul. They were very worried. And then on the third day, they were in the courtyard at the back of the temple where the doctors of the temple would sit and teach and people sit at their feet listening. And they heard Jesus' voice. And there he was, speaking to the doctors of the temple. They were so relieved at seeing him safe, they were overcome. And Mary asked him why he'd, he'd been as it were, almost hidden from them for three days. And he said, how come you sought me? Didn't you know I would be about my father's business? 
he was saying was the details as he was saying are important. Our primary duty is to give to the Father the service we owe him. But then he stopped. He went down to Nazareth with them. And the New Testament tells us he was subject to them. <coughs> so that's the story we think of while we say, Our Father, ten Hail Marys and glory be. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. O my Jesus, forgive us our sins, and save us from the fires of hell. Lead all souls to heaven, especially those in most need of thy mercy. Thank you very much for listening to this tape. The next tape, number seven, is going to be about Jesus' life and his teaching while he was on earth. May God bless you all.